Hello, and welcome back to Talking Talmud. I'm Ann Gordon, here with my friend and chavuta, Erdena Asband. Our daf of the day, Masachat Shabbat, Kaf Gimel, 23. Now, we're still talking about Hanukkah, because this is still the Hanukkah section of, well, of all of Shas, um, and in particular of Masachat Shabbat. We have come to the section, or uh, on our daf, is the section that dos- discusses the blessing that is made with regard to Hanukkah candles, which is you know, prov- provokes a little conundrum here because the Gemara says, "My mavarech, what do you bless?" Mavarech, asher kedushanu shalchanuka. Now that blessing is reserved for the mitzvot of the Torah, basically, because it says, you know, presuming the the beginning, the opening of the blessing that includes, "Blessed art thou, our God, King of the Universe," right? And then it says that has com- that has sanctified us in His mitzvot and commanded us to light the candles of Hanukkah. Now the tricky part is, of course, that the Hanukkah holiday, the entirety of it is Durabanan. It's, you know, the historical events that Hanukkah commemorates are entirely after the giving of the Torah by, you know, many, many, many years. So the idea that this is commanded in the Torah is a funny blessing to light on Hanukkah candles. And the answers are not so hard, but it's, you know, it's worth pausing just for a moment to recognize that the, that Chazal here, right, in our Gemara, give us a myth, give us a uh, blessing that includes the words of commandment for something that is not a Torah commandment. Now, the Gemara, of course, asks about this. Where were we commanded? Rav Avia Amar Milotasor. So Rav Avia says that there's this verse, right, that says that you will not turn from the words that your rabbis give you, whether they tell you right or left, then you do right or left, right? And that's, you know, it's a very uh, known, it's a very prominent verse to grant authority to the rabbis, rabbinic authority. Rabbi Nechemia, Rav Nechemia, Sicha, Rav Nechemia Amar, Sha'ala v'yicha v'yagedcha, Zekeinecho v'yom rulach, another verse from Devarim, both of these verses are from Devarim, where it says, ask your father and he will tell you, your elder, and they will tell you, right? Meaning, again, it's the idea of establishing the authority of the elders. And, the, you know, in terms of why one verse is worse versus the other verse? I'm not sure that there's a clear answer here, unless you want to say that one, you know, the, to establish the nature of tradition, we can delve into this further, but we have not yet. So, um, regardless, both of these psukim come to teach us very much that there's a matter of rabbinic authority, so that when the rabbis establish the holiday, that is sufficient for us to say, commanded us in this holiday meaning the rabbis commanded us, so to speak, by establishing it. And so then the fact that we say that God commanded us, well, God commanded us to listen to the rabbis and the rabbis established the holiday, and that's how that works. And thus the blessing makes sense, you know, as, well, it's the first blessing really of the um, of the two that we recite every night and of the three that we recite on the first night. Yordana, you had something you wanted to add about this. Well, I, I just think when people read a Gemara like this or the reasoning for why we would say Asher Kedushanu when it's clearly a rabbinic commandment, but yet they still want to tie it to something, you know, Doraisa that is from the Torah. So I think, first of all, when we went back, thinking back to the Gemara, which sort of gave the reason for why we do Hanukkah. So I think we also need to acknowledge that that may also be the emphasis of why it was on the miraculous aspect of Hanukkah as opposed to just the military victory of Hanukkah. Um, But the second piece is, I think, you know, someone may read this and be like, well, you know, is that using a lot of power? 
But I think if we really understand, you know, again, going back to that first Mishnah of Perkei Avos, which I probably have quoted a dozen times already on this podcast, that the idea is, is that the Torah Sheba Alpeh really is something that is transmitted from generation to generation. And the leaders of that generation really do have the power to sort of establish what that Torah is going to look like in that generation. So, you know, I, and, but, but we do need a pasuk, we do need a verse to sort of hang it on. And I actually think that's a way of looking at it as it's not about power, but it's a way of keeping Torah uh, current, right? That it recognizes that things may, um, you know, things may need to be made a little different, or there may be new commandments that we may need to do depending on what happens to us in history, what time period we're living in, um, and things like that. I mean, obviously, we could spend a very long time talking about that. But I just wanted to give a different frame for, I think, how we could think about that. Um, what I wanted to talk about in this stuff, which I thought was interesting, is um, this piece about um, requiring a person to maybe light twice because we might be suspicious if we weren't able to see um, their candles. So I'll just read that. I'm not going to read the whole piece, um, but just the beginning here. I'm a Rav Huna. So if somebody lives in a courtyard that has two doors that open into the courtyard, so his house would require that he lights two Hanukkah lights, right? One for each doorway. Um, so Rava said, We only said this um, where they're like from two different sides of the house. But if they're both open to the courtyard from one side, um, you know, a person would not need to do that. Then the Gemara goes on to ask, why would this be the case, right? Like, why would you have to light twice? Shouldn't lighting it once just be enough? My time, uh, what's the reason? Right? We do it because of suspicion. Um, and then they get into a discussion. What is the suspicion about? I'm not going to read the whole thing because is it either that they're uh, suspicious about the world, meaning people who walk by the house who may not be able to see the Hanukkah candles that were lit, they might assume that there lives a Jew who's not participating in this mitzvah, or could it be the neighbors? Remember, a lot of times people shared like a chutz or they shared a courtyard, and depending on how some of those houses were placed, maybe they didn't see it and they would uh, you know, suspect the person. And then the Gemara goes on and continues and gives even another example of this, which is about the mitzvah of peah, right? The mitzvah of peah, which was that you had to save your corner of your field and the poor people were allowed to, um, uh, poor people were allowed to come and um, take those crops, right, uh, in, you know, every year. And what they wanted to talk about here is that, um, th this kind of combines a little bit also what we're talking about here, is that um, the rabbis here, right, they quote a brisa here in the name of Rabbi Shimon, um, that um, because of the mitzvah of peah, Right, there were different um, pieces of how the rabbi said that they had to do it themselves, um, and it goes through. Right, the brisa reads as follows: uh, Sorry, here I lost my face. Tanya, right? The brisa taught. I'm a Rabbi Shimon. Rabbi Shimon said, "Bishvil Torah For four reasons, the Torah said that we had to leave the peah at the end of one's field. Right. And it gives reasons why. And all of these are because, again, I won't read all four of the reasons. You can see it inside again, because there could be a suspicion that the farmer didn't do payout the right way. 
I thought this was a very interesting concept. You know, today, I think many of us sort of have an attitude. Somebody does a mitzvah, doesn't do a mitzvah. You know, we're sort of like, okay, people do what they want to do. They do the best that they can. Here we see like a particular type of, I'm not sure what the right word is, and maybe you have a good word for it, but there's a real concern here that lest we give an impression that we are not keeping a mitzvah or keeping a halacha the way that it's meant to be. And therefore we have to go out of our way to present ourselves in a way that we are doing it. And I think this is really not, this, this strikes me as something that's not one of our modern sensibilities where we're much more today like, yeah, you do what you do. And I also like in terms of the, the concept of like Dan like of judging somebody favorably. I would walk by my neighbor's house and not see a, a, a Hanukkah and then assume obviously that they didn't light. That's also like, there's something very judgy here. So I thought this was a very interesting point that was on the daf, right? That again, you're going out of your way or you'll do a mitzvah a particular way. So nobody would be suspicious that you didn't actually perform that mitzvah. I think that there's something, you know, like we have categories of how we're supposed to conduct ourselves that are very much about paying attention to what other people think, right? Like I always say, if you never, if everybody was always down the Kafskut, then you'd never have to worry about Mars Ayan, Marit Ayan, that, right, this, uh, that you're looking like you're doing the wrong thing, right? The classic example, I guess, is, you know, if somebody goes into McDonald's to use the bathroom or to get a Coke, but you don't assume then that they're going to, if you're down the Kafskut, you would never assume that that person who you know to keep kosher would be eating a Big Mac, right? So the idea is that on the one hand, you would, if everyone's done the cuff school, if everyone gives everybody the benefit of the doubt, then there's no reason to think, then you don't have to worry about that you might look wrong to, you know, somebody who catches sight of you. On the other hand, if everybody were co- conscious of, you know, not being at risk of Marisayan, then nobody would have to be done the cuff school, which is maybe the backwards way to look at it, right? But there is this, I think, a very real thing of, you know, in a religious community or maybe in any community, there's this reality, I guess, that people, you know, like it or not, people look and talk and, and wonder. And and I think this idea of like, well, making sure that people are doing the right thing, you know, at some point, let's be done with Kafskut. And on the other hand, let's make sure that we're also looking like we're doing the right thing because we really are. Uh, you know, I, I don't think that it's, I don't know. I, I think it caters to human nature more than I think it, uh, you know, maybe more than it has to, except for that, that is human nature, right? And if we're going, if we know that people are going to perhaps look askance at other members of their community and not always be done with Kafskut, well, then let's make sure that we don't give anybody anything to talk about. Yeah, no, I hear what you're saying about that. And I think that actually is a theme that we've seen, you know, even the piece of like where we talked about, I think it was one or two deaths ago, the, the idea of, you know, that we, we treat certain objects of that we use for rituals sort of with respect. Um, And that the fact that that has to be pointed out also is, yeah, it's human nature. Like, you know, if you sacrifice an animal, you'll kick the dirt over the blood and not use your hand. So I agree with you. I think sometimes some of these things are really about Chazal recognizing what people are really like and therefore what could we create uh, in our society or are there certain things we should be sensitive to uh, you know, because we are, ultimately, we are always human. Right. 
Right, right. Uh, listen, I think the rest of it, I mean, this, this idea of Paya is such a complicated thing. You know, when we were preparing and we were talking about, should we talk about Paya or should we not talk about Paya? I think that the fact that there's a whole masachet of the Mishnayot of Paya, and then there's Yerushalmi on that, but there's no Bavli. So we don't talk about it in the context of Dafyomi. And this, I think that, you know, that all of those brachot, all, all, sorry, pardon me, all of those zraim masachtot are by and large about chesed, right? All of the agricultural things where you, where you leave over from your field, whether it's gleaning or the corners or whatever, for other people to come and take it. it there's a tremendous amount of chesed that's, that's there, which is, I think, also dictating to people's better natures, right? Like, I don't think that, I don't think that chazal are only after, like, making sure we don't gossip too much. I mean, that's, just, you know, important, but not all there is to it. Agree. Yeah, I, I hear what you're saying. That's a, an interesting piece of it. And then maybe the what's common here is, you know, with Hanukkah, it's a discussion about like, you know, this is really a miracle. And to have somebody who in the community looks like doesn't believe in that miracle or is not celebrating that miracle, that does something to the community. And the same thing with Paya, you know, if it looks like somebody is not feeding the poor the way that they should, that also does something to the community. So maybe that's really what the suspicion is about, that if those things creep into the community, that it looks like somebody's not maintaining community norms, it breaks down, you know, the the cohesiveness of the community itself. Right. It also very much, I think, attests to the to the cohesion of the community, because, for example, you know, I grew up in a town that had a church on every corner. There was no Chanukiah, you know, for miles and miles around type of thing. Now in Jerusalem, I can say, you know, Hanukkah time, we look through the wind, you know, we look at the windows and say like, oh, look, they have a Chanukiah, they have a Chanukiah. We do not assume that everybody will or does. And you know what? They don't. Or they certainly don't at a time that everybody can see them. So, and people do light in the windows and people do light outside even. So I feel like, it really also attests to a different era where that kind of community, that kind of presumption of commonality amongst neighbors is very different from what it is now. Uh, not everywhere in the world, but certainly, you know, a lot of the cosmopolitan places where we all live nowadays, it's just more diverse and, and we can't make that presumption to begin with. Okay, I'm going to go on now. There's another piece of this Gemara that I also think is important to discuss. Amar Rava, Pshitali, Rava says that it's obvious to him we're talking about triage here, right? The idea that if you only have enough money to buy, let's say, a light for the household or your Hanukkah lift, your candles for Hanukkah, it is better to have a candle to light up the whole house than to have Hanukkah candles. Mishum shalom beto, meaning because you have peace in the house, because, you know, you, there's a great deal of hassle if people are like stumbling all over each other in the dark. And remember, Hanukkah candles are not supposed to be used for anything else except for it to be Hanukkah candles. So the idea that you would prioritize life in the home, you know, in terms of what's important for a family to live, um, I think is, you know, important to note. But then he goes on, right? And there's a whole list here of categories, right? Now you've got Ner Beto, so we've prioritized that over Chanukah candles. Vekidush Hayom. What if you have, you can either make, you can either have the Shabbat candles. I'm sorry, light in the home is always about Shabbat. I'm sorry. I left out that key part. The point, one of the points of, uh, one of the key rationales for why we have Shabbat candles is so that there should be light in the home so that people are not stumbling all over each other in the dark, right? Otherwise, you could always just light another torch, presumably. Okay, so if you only have money for Hanukkah licht or Shabbat candles, Shabbat candles win. 
interesting here that it's not it doesn't discuss the idea that they're more common, right? There's a rule in general in halacha that that which is more common takes precedence. But here it's simply about shalom bayit. Okay, ner beto shayom, ner beto adif, mishum shalom beto. Again, if you only have money for candles or for kiddush, right, which is maybe not the same cost, but fine, right, then shalom bayit wins and you the candles win. By Rav and Er Chanukah But what happens then if you have you have enough light, you have enough money for your candles for Shabbat, and now the question is, do you then have Kiddush? Do you does your next money go to Kiddush or to Chanukah candles? Kiddush Hayom Adif Tadir. And now we get the common argument, meaning that Kiddush t- takes place more frequently, so it should be Shabbat candles and then Kiddush. Oh Dilma Ne'er Chanukah Adif Mishum Persimayniso. Or should it be that Hanukkah candles would take precedence because there's an added bonus with Hanukkah candles of Pirsume Nisa of publicizing the miracle, which it carries a big wallop in terms of the importance of the of the Hanukkah candles themselves. And after there's all this discussion of what the rationale should be, the conclusion is that um, Hanukkah candles win because of the Pirsume Nisa. Yeah, I like this Gemara because I think in a way it's sort of saying, I don't know, is it ranking like what's important or what we get out of a mitzvah? That's kind of how I read this a little bit. Like that's what it's ranking. It's saying it's it it's ascribes sort of value or how we feel about certain mitzvot. And then it's basically saying, you know, this value is more important than that value. Is that how you read that? That's how I understand this. I think what happens is I'd like to read it as follows. I think it says all of these mitzvot are fundamentally critically important. What happens when you have to prioritize, when you have to do that triage? Then you have to say, well, what else is there besides the fact that it's a mitzvah, right? And and then what wins? So Shalom Bayit wins, right? And and it's very interesting to me that that's the Gemara. The Gemara says that is the priority. But the idea is not that I don't think the idea is that Ner, Ner Shabbat is more important, but that it carries this other piece with it. Namely, it it um, enables, it facilitates Shalom by it, and therefore it becomes more important. And then, you know, each of these categories of, well, is it more common? So that should win, or it's Persumini, so, so that should win. I think these added components to each of the mitzvot themselves uh, be, make, you know, end up, establishing the priority, not just about importance, but what else do we get out of it? Or what's the, well, what's what's the added benefit, that added value? Right. What was interesting to me about this though, is that one could, the excuse the Gemara could have used about why it chose near Shabbos over near Hanukkah is you could say, cause it's Shabbos as opposed to Hanukkah, right? Like in terms of it's more, right. 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 So, I wonder if part of it is going back to the earlier part of the DAP is it's they have to have the discussion and they're using concepts of, you know, of uh, Shalom Bias and Persume Nisa because they don't want to have that Doraisa, Dorabanan, because it's not really Dorabanan, Ner Hanukkah is Doraisa. They don't really want to have that discussion because, in a way, that will undermine the authority of the fact that we have to do Hanukkah. So I think that might be one piece of it. Um, so that, that's, I guess, what was like a little puzzling to me, but the idea that they sort of, right, it's not just about doing the mitzvah, but sort of what the, um, added value is to the mitzvah. What does the doing the mitzvah do for us? Which is not really a concept we always think about 
usually we say you do a mitzvah because it's just a mitzvah. You're just supposed to light Shabbos candles because you like Shabbos candles. You light Hanukkah candles because you like Hanukkah candles. And here the Gemara wants to elevate it and say, no, but we get something out of it. It does something to a, either transforms our homes or transforms us, uh, makes us think about something. And I thought that was actually very lovely. I agree. Um, and then I think here's the here's the kicker, right? The Gemara goes on to talk about those who who um, make the practice of being, you know, being very careful about these mitzvot. If you are careful and regular, you know, practiced in your lighting of candles, both for Shabbos and for Hanukkah, right? Then you're going to have, have the merit of Talmidei Chachamim who will spread the light of Torah. And then it goes on, right, Hazi here, but mezuzah, right. somebody who's careful with the mezuzah. And so this idea of like, you get, to, you know, I, this is, this second Gemara is not really my focus, except for this idea of like, you get something out of the mitzvot, right, is is an interesting, you know, and, and directly connected to the mitzvah itself. I think it's not so far away from what we're talking about here when we're talking the triage idea of what are you doing and what are you getting out of it? You know, different people, would, you know, you can't say, Kiddush is more important than having Shalom Bayit just because it's a more common mitzvah, right? But that doesn't mean that it's not important because it is, in fact, a common mitzvah. Common meaning regular, frequent. So, yeah, I think it's hard to prioritize the mitzvot, and I think that they do us a favor when they put them in order like this because otherwise we'd be at a loss, you know, or we'd have to, you know, make up our own priorities, which... You know, I guess people do anyway, but I think that there's an, an advantage when the Gemara lays it out so so logically, and then we have those principles to work off of going forward. Yeah, and I and I liked how the you know the Gemara then afterwards to say like if you're careful to do these particular mitzvot, right of of lighting uh, Shabbat or Hanukkah candles or mezuzah or tzitzit, you know, which you know maybe mitzvot, I guess in that time at least probably did require a certain amount of money. I think today those are mitzvot that we're sort of, they're just part of our lives, but maybe for them, they were a little bit harder to do. So the Gemara sort of wanted to give some added encouragement about why these were things to be careful to do. That's our DAP for the day. Uh, you can find us on all major podcasts. Please rank us, review us, uh, leave us a comment or a thought on today's DAP on our Facebook Talking Talmud page. Thank you to Michelle Farber for hosting us on the Hadron website. And until tomorrow's DAP, go and listen.